0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jeffrey Wu with the Health Via Modern Nutrition HVMN podcast. And today I'm really excited to talk with my I don't know what to what to say, but like friend meant like mentor from afar, just like a fellow entrepreneur, Justin Kahn. Welcome to the program. Friend, friend first.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm, I'm super excited to be here.
0: I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to talk about. Obviously, there's an intersection in terms of human performance. I know that You've been experimenting on human performance, whether that's related to fasting or ketogenic diet. But just in general, I, I think one thing that I've been enjoying following along is your tilt into becoming a Twitter philosopher. I don't know if that's like <laughs> almost like a, a, a flippant way to call what you're thinking about. But I think with the pandemic, with some of the extra time that we have sitting at home, I feel like I've actually spent a lot more time thinking about and aesthetic of living a well lived life. So I think there's a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. And I think, especially in Silicon Valley, which some of our audience is plugged into, whether it's biohacking or tech. Man, what a crazy world where we see literally a lot of friends making a ton of money, which is really strange. Given that we also know that I have friends who are just really, really struggling. So a lot to digest, a lot to unpack. But first and foremost, welcome to the program. We're really an honor to have you on the program.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. I feel like we have a, a lot of things to talk about across the whole spectrum of ideas. And that'll be, be fun.
0: Yeah. So where where to begin? I mean, I think maybe just from a nutrition perspective, I think we intersected around key drink diet fasting. I just before we went live here, you're talking about some of the biohackery things you're up to. What's the protocol? What are you up to? Obviously not cutting your hair seems to be a key biohack. It's,
1: it's a source of my strength. Exactly. This is, I'm getting stronger as I let it go. <laughs> but yeah, just, just
0: curious, like what even you up to? I mean, what is it like in the life of Justin Khan these days? Yeah. So
1: professionally, so I just shut down a company like a year ago, right? And that was tough. But then I took a long time off a couple, you know, seven months or so and then now I'm a professional investor. I started a venture fund called Goat Capital with my friend Robin Chan, and we're doing seed stage investments and incubating our own ideas as well. So that's kind of my day job. And I also had a kid about a year ago, so raising my kid—that's another big thing. i work working on this podcast. Uh, just got into the podcasting game. It's been—it's been pretty fun for me. I, I feel like it's a great way to connect with people. So those are kind of like the things I'm doing. But the protocol, which kind of coincides with my hard pivot into twitter philosopher is that i've just been really you know about a couple of years ago i started really trying to invest in myself and like f- trying to figure out the ways to feel better every day you know like i felt like my whole life even if i was doing better on the extrinsic uh you know the outside world I was being more successful or you know our startup was growing like that was that'd be great but then i i just feel the same as always as you know in my daily life. And at a certain point with this last company, I got super stressed. And I was like, I need to figure out some ways to like deal with my stress and my situation. And so some of those things were really investing, most of it all breaks down to investing in habit formation stuff. Right. So I'm actually like super into habit formation. And I never thought that I was very good at building habits. In fact, I was terrible. And so to to cut to you know we can go through the, the journey if you're curious, but I basically started experimenting with like everything. And then now I have a protocol, which is like meditate every morning. i meditated, you know, every day for the past couple of years. I work out every day and I, I hold myself to do something every day. If it, even if it's just the minimum, which is like five minutes, you know, I'll do five minutes of planks if I don't have time or energy or I forgot to do it one day, but I just work out every day. And I've done that pretty much every day for the last year and a half. That's like, it really helped me just you know, kind of get into shape and, and stay accountable around, uh, around the protocol of exercise. And then I, I try to eat keto kind of varying success. These I, I these the food bars right here, which are helping, but I've been trying to eat keto and I've been trying to do regular one day a week fast. So like a 36 hour fast every day, which is like, I find that really hard for me. Building habits is like, can I make it an everyday thing? And then there's no choice, but if I'm choosing like, okay, which day am I going to fast this week? It's like, then it's really easy for it to go, you know, so that one, that's the one that's the hardest for me. Yeah. And I, I want to dive into the specific protocols.
0: because I know that a lot of our community members are gonna want to nerd out with you on that. But I think what's at least resonated with me is the openness and vulnerability around like still being stressed out running a company, right? Like, you're in rarefied territory. I, for folks that don't know Justin's background, just Wikipedia, Justin TV or, or, or his background here. But I mean, it doesn't TV eventually ended up being Twitch was like, a billion dollar plus outcome, you're definitely in rarefied territory. So it, it feels like once people hit that strata of success, it's like, things are great. There's like an optic, or a image one needs to carry. Yeah. Why didn't why? Why aren't you like that? Like, what allowed you to have the self awareness to share that openness and, and vulnerability? I mean, Do you observe that with your fellow peers who have made like billionaire or whatever billion dollar outcomes? Like, like just like give us a sneak peek behind like the billionaire outcome stratosphere. Where does that kind of look like, and and why are you different here? Yeah, well, like
1: I'll tell you. You know, people think, and I thought it too. Like when you just make X or Y or whatever your number is, you know, hundred million dollars, ten million dollars, one million dollars, whatever it is, right? You're like, okay, I'm gonna be good, and then I'll be finally happy, and you know, we've had this massive success beyond our wildest dreams. And we, we worked hard to get there. We grinded to get there. But, you know, it wasn't just like it happened overnight. We worked hard on it. And we did, you know, I felt like I deserved it. But at the same time, when we got it, it was like, okay, I'd like looking around. And, you know, today, for example, Airbnb IPO, right? And I had known those guys. And when we sold Twitch, you know, they were like a $30 billion company or whatever, like 20 billion, something like that 10 billion. So it was like, oh, like, we did pretty good. But like, you know, I was friends with them or like Drew from Dropbox. It's like, oh, there's more to go, you know? And so that, that treadmill never ends. Like you could be the richest guy. And then there's like someone who's better looking than you, or is the, you know, president of the United States or whatever. Like there's, you know, people like no matter who you are, look at president Trump, you could be like the president of the U S and be very unhappy, right? Like very deeply un- unhappy, you know, kind of jealous of other people or want something to be different in, in your life. So for me, it's like, even though we were successful, I was still like oh i want more you know there's some part of me in the back of my mind that was like you need to go out and get more and i know where that's from because my mom she really had a scarcity mindset when it came to the things when when we were growing up because she was she grew up in rural malaysia so uh when we were growing up me and my brothers you know that was kind of ingrained in me so i always felt like i didn't have enough even though you know i was things were things were great right so what happened was i started this new company to try to make it even bigger than, than twitch and I I was stressed out and I was so stressed from this company because it was like, oh, is it it meeting expectations? Not really. There's like things that aren't working. And I I was stressed about it. And then I was like, why am I so stressed? Because kind of like, even if this didn't work out, I would be fine, right? I could go back to being an investor or having a very nice life. And that was really what set me on the journey of trying to figure out, to unpack all of this and to understand like, what is it about? Like the external world that I like so desperately crave something from it that I'm not getting. You know, to dive into that a little bit, you know, it started off with me saying, "Okay, I'm going to go invest in some tools to try to to deal with my stress." So meditation was one of those tools. I drank plant medicine, ayahuasca for the first time, and that really revealed a lot of what I'm sharing with you, which is like, "Oh, why am I this way? Why do I need external validation?" It's like because of ways that I had interacted with my peers when I was a kid. And I didn't feel like I was on the inside. I always felt like I was on the outside. So I want to be a famous entrepreneur to heal that wound from 30 years ago. Right. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. So that was a big learning for me. And then as I started to layer on these positive habits, once I had the realization and started to layer on positive habits, it really became clear like that my own internal well-being was coming from the intrinsic. Like what was I doing for myself every day and how did I feel every day? versus the extrinsic, like, what is going on in, you know, my bank account, or my startup success, or or anything like that. Yeah, and I think it's like, I mean, did you, like, it sounds like there's a lot of
0: self-internal reflection, but were there books in terms of, I know a lot of people have been reading, you know, Marcus Aurelius' meditations, as as an example of someone who was at the pinnacle of power as a Roman emperor, but still feeling very stressed out as barbarians were invading his empire how did you come up with like this internal philosophy that you've been sort of slowly trickling out to your following was this purely self awareness, self meditation? Was this inspired by your readings, talking with other folks? Like what were the inspirations that have come up with like your current philosophy?
1: Yeah, so the first thing I should say is like, I am not the inventor or originator of anything that I do, right? Like I've only here feeling pretty good about myself because i have learned from amazing people around me and like you know a lot of this technology is thousands of years old you know that people have been really understanding and, and seeking to understand the human condition for a very long time and so you know i would say there's a couple of books that really played in a big part one is called the untethered soul I'm not sure if you read it but it, it's effectively like a it's by this guy who's among many other things michael singer he was a, a tech ceo as as well and he wrote this book that's about kind of taking some elements of Eastern philosophy and writing them for a Western audience. So the idea that you're purely a witness consciousness, like you're just the witness of what's going on, but you don't have control of what's going on. And so, you know, when you're the witness and you don't have, con- when you realize you don't have control, then it, you fight a less against your present moment of experience, whatever that is, right? Something doesn't break your way. Your startup doesn't, you know, rocket ship, when you launch a product, people won't use it. You know, you, you might, you know, the way I would be before would be like to be, Pissed, right? To be like, it didn't work out my way. And I, my, I feel threatened because this, like, you know, I, I, my ego is tied up with my startup. And if this product doesn't work, then it's going to fail. And then everyone's going to think I'm a failure. So I'd be really pissed about it or scared or, or angry and fighting against it. And when, you know, once I read this book, I realized, oh, you know, I'm just the, the passenger on this ride. You know, I'm the, the guy watching the Justin movie. And there's no reason to be upset, right? Like, I don't have control over these things. Now, I can try to make things different in the future and like invest in, you know, learning from my experiences and trying new, you know, new techniques that like maybe drive outcomes that I want down the road. But at this given moment, I am not in control. And so acceptance of that was a big step to, you know, just kind of be okay and equanimous with everything that's going on in life. So that was a big, a big, big book for me. Another book that I've always loved since I was since I was a kid is this book Siddhartha by Herman has a kind of tells the story of this, you know, so it's Siddhartha, you know, it's a great book. It tells the story of this guy. He basically becomes an aesthetic, aesthetic and then he becomes a, a rich man, businessman, then he becomes a ferryman. He's like kind of searching for truth his whole life. And what I love about that book is that he kind of has to go through all these stages of his life in order to get to his ultimate place of equanimity and peace. And I kind of felt the same way with myself. It's like I had to struggle as a startup founder and really beat my head against the wall and hate what was going on at times in order to have the stressful experiences that would have pushed me to invest in learning this stuff about myself, you know? Hey guys, this is
0: Jeff Wu interrupting my podcast for a special offer, a special announcement for you. As you might know, HVMN just launched the new keto food bar and they're yummy, they're delicious, and I wanna make a special personal offer for you to give you a discount to get those into your hands. So for a limited time only, use the discount code Jeff10. That's G-E-O-F-F number one, number zero. Jeff10 for a 10% discount on the Keto Food Bar on HVMN.com. We got Mexican hot chocolate, one of my personal favorites. We got vanilla shortbread, we got chocolate chunk, and of course, we got the everything bagel, which is legit savory, garlicky, oniony. And these have become staples in my own personal life. I like to eat this with a cup of coffee for breakfast. I've been using the Mexican hot chocolate, the vanilla as grab and go bars when I'm biking, when I'm out on the town, when it's not easy for me to eat healthy, eat keto. So these are certified organic. They actually are yummy. They aren't these weird synthetic artificial tasting bars you might see that are keto compliant, but have a bunch of fake IMOs and things that actually spike like response. And of course, While they're also certified organic and they actually taste good. These have been tested on continuous glucose monitors. so They actually have flat glycemic response on your blood sugar. So essentially, it's a fasting mimetic, but we're still delivering almost 300 calories of healthy fat and 12 grams of healthy protein and grass-fed collagen. These are legit. I'm so excited for you to try them and use my personal discount code, Jeff10 to get a special 10% discount. So check it out, and enjoy. And back to the program. I think one thing that I'm just curious to get your thoughts on is that, as you had to, you know, wind down your previous company, that must have felt like some sort of death or an ego death at some point. And as I'm talking, and you know, one of the best parts of my job is working with our service numbers or warfighters. And it feels like when you are literally seeing death and seeing that reflection, I feel like you gain some sort of wisdom when you actually see death of your company, which to a lot of startup founders is like a death of part of themselves. And I feel like as you see like that depth of negativity, you fully appreciate like the beauty and the gratitude of having life and abundance. And I feel like so much of us in America, who have um, honestly like a pretty soft, like cushy lifestyle, we never go into that depth of actually feeling scared of our lives, or, or scared of just like this, this dark, this dark area. And I feel like some of the wisest people have lived through those experiences, oftentimes that breaks some people, right? And that's called like PTSD, right? Like you can either get broken by that kind of darkness. But I feel like that people that can work through integrate that dark ego death, and then have that become now like a strength of seeing the polarity of emptiness towards hey, we are like, we have the opportunity the abundance of actually creating our, our future our lives, that seems to be a powerful wedge. And I think I kind of internalized that having some business challenges over the last couple of years with supply chains and different partners, and then working closely with military uh, veterans and service members, literally actually going down range and having friends get killed, and almost getting killed themselves and borrowing those lessons and integrating it into into myself, that one almost needs to like see that darkness before they can truly become enlightened. And I feel like when I'm hearing you talk about like shutting down that, you know, atrium in, in, in the previous company, and then kind of just self analyzing self reflecting, it feels like you've come through the other side with some sort of wisdom. Does that resonate with you? Is that too woo woo? Is that like, crazy? Or is that there's some wisdom as you like saw kind of death, yeah. and like survive death, and then come to the other side,
1: I would say that for me, the startup failing at a startup was like a test, it felt like it was that, you know, I've been learning all of this stuff about equanimity and being in my present moment experience and surrendering to that present moment experience, and some stoic practices like negative visualization. And then I had this big te- actually I had a series of tests, it was like the finals, right? Like one was like I broke both my arms a year ago and I, I like both elbows, one one was really bad, the terrible triad injury, which, you know, they had to do a radial head replacement. So they replaced part of my radius with a, a piece of metal and I couldn't, you know, use either arm for several days. And then about a month and a half after that, I started just the process of shutting down our company. So it was, it was kind of a very stressful time, but it, it was like a, a big test of my own practice because you know, having done all this work with negative visualizations where, where I would visualize bad things happening and then be very grateful for my present moment, you know, experience. And then having done all this work with meditation, I was able to say, oh, okay, this is, this hurts. It, I'm sad. I feel angry or upset, but I accept that and I, I can let it go. And so instead of it lingering and like, you know, contrasted to seven years ago, I shut down another company called exact, well, I sold, we sold it, but it was basically failing. I was so torn up and I was, Just self-medicating. I was drinking every night. I was crying about it. I was very upset, but I wasn't okay with being upset. I was just struggling against it. I was fighting against it. And then this time, I I feel like this time I passed the test. I was like, okay, I accept it. I accept what's happening. And um, so that was like, it was almost like a test for me. And, you know, one last thing I'll say is that, you know, the the ego death experience and the near death experience, which are maybe similar, but different, you know, I both had those experiences as well, where you know, I was spearfishing on the California coast one time almost drowned, And, you know, afterwards, it does give you that grat- deep gratitude for like, Oh, I've had this amazing life. And I have this amazing life to keep living and like, uh, don't take it for granted. You know, there, there's something very powerful about having that experience.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that's where I feel like I've been able to just be the most free and creative. Like if you literally think that you're free rolling on life, like with kind of a poker term of just like, it's all house money. And you're just like, being out there fully trying to self actualize, I feel like you just have a much more of abundance generosity mindset. And I think it's so hard to tap into that without finding some sort of ego death or near death experience to see like the opposite. So I, I'm just, like thinking just ripping with you here. How does one like it, it's like definitely a challenge. And maybe this is like a societal question, which is that I think if you look ancestrally, there's so many like challenges in one's life, there's like rights of manhood or rights of adulthood or rights of womanhood that used to be so ancestrally tied into how children were turned into adults. And I think that the modern civilized approach is a very deformed version of that, right? Like the closest version of that is like going to college, which is like a very almost soft bubble, like party of a version of that. So to me, it's like, we've almost lost that challenge or that near death experience that you might have seen that have made Humans very resilient over time, and I think most of us just never had to have that struggle, and never had to like grapple with our mortality. And then conversely, then you never have this abundance, generosity mindset to be grateful to yourself, and then have this give yourself almost permission
1: to fail, and then just moving forward. That's a great point, right? Because you need those moments of stress to build resilience, right? Like a, whether it's a Walkabout or a vision quest or something where you're like out on your own or a survival weekend or you know it's a moment where you're you're dealing with a very stressful you know situation where you're responsible you know you're like shutting down your company or you know another example would be like a ceremony around plant medicine right like I've done these plant medicine ceremonies with ayahuasca and those are very stressful but like some type of resilience has formed within me afterwards you know and I, I feel like that's that's a really important thing that is missing from our culture today in a way like you can you can kind of live in a sheltered and protected existence but then the the problem is at the other back end of it what you know the world contains stresses like the real world contains ups and downs and if you've never practiced and experienced being stressed and triggered and having things go poorly then you are ill prepared to survive the world when that happens you know yeah 100 percent. i mean that might
0: be just a fun, like theoretical question to ask, like, if there was Justin Kahn dictator of universe, like, what would you implement in modern society to help resolve those questions? I have some thoughts there as well. But just like, I think directly, like, how, like, again, just maybe just to make this more tactical or actionable for some of our listeners, how, you know, is that something that you advise people that are asking for advice? How do you implement small stressors into life? Because I feel like it's I know, again, maybe, to, maybe like current society is giving us a little bit of stress. And again, I think you see that bifurcation, you see half of our country, like getting drunk every single night, right? Like literally, I can talk to some friends who are like, yeah, they're stuck in New York, and they're just like bored. And they're just like, drinking vodka every night, because like literally nothing to do. And then the other half, I see people getting like more fit than ever. Yeah. And it's just like the test of our time. This is the test of our generation.
1: I think For me, it's been to build learning and experimentation into my life. I think that's like so important is to to have an open and curious mind and try new things. And I wasn't always like that. Actually, I was, you know, I I think I was much more reactive and much more like, okay, I'm going to be set in this way. I've like have found a way to do it. I'm just going to do that, you know, but I I love to just try new things and to say, okay, this is something I've never tried before. So let's just do it rather than like, oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to try it, you know? And, and I think that naturally like experimenting, like the thing about experimenting is that like often doesn't go right. You know, like things like often don't work out. Right. And, and so that is the stressor, right. It, it, it's experiments actually, especially when they're conducted in your own life, like have moments where they're like, things are not going well. or like, they don't go, you know, you've, you've confirmed the negative hypothesis. Right. So, you know, examples of like, I, I was talking about um, fasting, like a couple months ago, I was like, I had always wanted to do an extended fast. I think we talked about this in our text group on we um, uh, keto and, and other like diet hacks, and I'd never gotten to go more than 24 hours. And so, I had just come off this weekend where I, you know, ate a lot of like, um, and I, I decided I'm just going to do my five day fast right now with no preparation or anything, you know. And so, and people were like, my wife was like, "What, what the fuck are you talking about?" You know, like she was like, "I'm going to have to deal with this like hangry guy," you know, <laughs> like husband is like. You know, like not taking care of our young child or whatever. So, but I just went for it, you know, and it, for me, it was like such a learning experience to just dive in and say, to see what, like, what is that experience and what's the stress on the body and how does what's the really what's the experience like and learning from that. You know, I mean, there was positives or negatives, I happened to talk about that, but it was like that's kind of like a hallmark of the type of experimentation I like to build into my life, you know.
0: Yeah. Was there a seminal moment that, Push you more towards the experimental phase because I think if folks are just tuning in and just don't know, you know Justin's background, right? Like, you know, I went to Stanford, you went to Yale, right? Like, we're not like just crazy friggin' hippies, yeah. like doing, you know, like just like like we we like played the game right in terms of like the con- traditional academic sense, right? And I think maybe it's an like, Asian upbringing or what, whatever, right? Like, not to get stereotypical, but like I think we played like. What was like the known game of like coming from folks coming you know you know with with immigrant parents probably i i'm I don't presume to know exactly your your exact family background, but I imagine that like we came in with kind of like the immigrant chip on the shoulder playing the like the traditional game, and at some point like it sounds like similar to you like there's this like a broader more explorative explorative game to play, which is like i think I don't know if it's like next level or just like the next stage of just evolution of ourselves as like self-actualizing beings, but there must have been some like critical moments along the path that allows you to be much more open-minded and experimental. Yeah, Can you share maybe one or two of these like critical experiences that might be inspiring for our listeners here?
1: It's interesting. I'm trying to think back on it. And to some extent, I was always somebody who was into new ideas, and I think that's you know reflected by getting into a career in startups like very early and probably similar to you. like I had uh, my first startup. But program, you were especially bold, right This was like late what like 2000- 2005
0: Yeah, so I think like my era, right I graduated Stanford in 2011, right like that's when like Facebook and like this Facebook movie came out where like it literally became like the coolest thing in Stanford to be like a computer science kid, right. Yeah. I feel like you we were an OG where like, it was not like, cool. There was like literally nothing. So in, in, in that sense, like I, it was more de-risk for my generate, like, again, not like there's like a huge age gap here, but just even five years
1: afterwards. Yeah, I remember when that Facebook movie came out, right. And normalized startups and the people were like, Oh, this is a thing you could do. Right. For me. Yeah. That back in Oh five, that's like, it was, it was like a big risk. And then starting Justin TV, which happened in Oh seven was another big kind of like, crazy idea. Like I was just like, hey, let's just do the experiment. If I strap a camera to my head and we a, film a live 24-7 reality show, what will happen? And, you know, for, I think there was always these moments where, like I was always into new ideas and experimentation around new ideas. I think one thing that helped me make, make, be curious was I actually had this moment with this intern, I remember years ago, and he he, he was like, you are not, he, was, he wanted to give me feedback. He's 19 years old. You know, he wanted to give me feedback. And he was just like, Justin, you're not a curious person. You're a very reactive person. And he didn't say it in a mean way. He was like, you know, but you, you're just like, you're, you're very much like, what's the problem? Let's solve it. And are not bringing curiosity to the company. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Like, that's like, I never thought about that in that way. But then that kind of was like, almost like a, the first chink in the dam or something, but like, sort of crack, right? Where I was like, oh, I should, I, I maybe I want to be a more curious person. You know, and so maybe I should. Maybe I need to cultivate curiosity about my circumstance, about the people around me, about my how I feel and my perceptions. To you know, really, truly actualize at a level where I'm like, you know, seek more seeking truth and than, like, than than just reacting to whatever is happening at any given moment. You know,
0: interesting. Who is that 19 year old kid? I mean, that's like a very brave 19 year old. like t- like as an intern, telling their hey, you're too reactive.
1: Yeah, he, he, he didn't say too reactive because it wasn't a judgment. Actually, it was just like, you're very reactive and there's some good qualities to that, which is you're a great problem solver on like specific things. But you're also like kind of tunnel vision. And I was like, oh, it's weird. I never thought about myself that way. But yeah, his name is Raf. He is very brave to say it. I think I was, I was very thankful actually for that feedback.
0: Yeah, and interesting. And I think maybe just shifting gears a little bit. I remember like I remember seeing on on your social when you started moving more towards the fitness, your, your tagline at the time was fitness, is the first up the greatness, yeah. I think it's still like a great little tagline. I definitely had that evolution myself. I don't know what your upbringing was like, but I grew up playing tennis. And absolutely just like, again, very stereotypically Asian, I play tennis to get into a good college. <laughs> yeah. And I, I regret not treating it seriously. Because I think like, if you just compound good like dedicated practice, you can get quite good. And I think now as I'm able to, you know, with the H platform, actually work with elite athletes, elite folks in the military, special operations world, I think just seeing just how, how good these guys are as a physical specimen, but they're also intellectually very curious, I always like prided myself on, you know, math science kid, pretty smart, did good at school, and just like, kind of sports or athletics was kind of a hack to get into like the like the next goal. But now looking back, just like the comfort confidence from physical mastery, and just seeing how little additional effort to just like focus on training properly. It feels like it's very, very compounding because I feel like my endurance, my energy, my just like the physical presence is like just much stronger. Yeah. After just like being thoughtful about physical practice, just like if, you know, I, I presume you were pretty, you know, academic focused, just like the amount of effort to be like the top student to get into elite colleges and then go on, on the startup career, just that additional effort to focusing that same energy on diet, nutrition, exercise. It seems to compound a lot. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts, your reflection, your journey yeah. on that. Like what got you into fitness? I mean, was it just like you wanted to look good for, for summer beach body? Was it some some realization?
1: Yeah. What was that story? I love that. I'm, I love the question because it, it's it's interesting. It's you know I was in that same path. Probably worse. You know not worse, but like much less fit or into fitness than, than you were because you know, I played soccer when I was a kid and then in high school, but I was not good. You know I wasn't a good player, and like it wasn't helping me get into college. You know and, like I was actually quite unfit as a kid, and then what happened was like I started working at lifting weights and you know anaerobic exercises after I, I went to Japan at a homestay, like I was in the, su- they're staying in Japan for summer with this Japanese family. And I got beat up by this, this, this guy. He wasn't even a kid. It was like in an arcade. We got into a dis- dispute in an arcade. And he, he, like it beat him in a video game and he comes around and sucker punches me and then like drags me out the back of this arcade and starts hitting me with this umbrella. It was like a Hello Kitty yellow umbrella. That? <laughs> so it was very ego. My ego was like crushed, right? I was like, okay, I got to go work out to try to, to try to bulk up so I can like defend myself. And that's when I started lifting weights. And then, you know, in college, of course, I was like, oh, I want to be strong and like have big pecs or, you know, whatever. So I'm going to like, I lifted, you know, only upper body. I never did like any deadlifts or squats. I just did upper body, typical like trapezoid Asian Asian bro, you know, in the gym. And uh, I actually hurt both my rotators benching because like, I I'm, mean, I'm you know, I'm an idiot. So then I just... Didn't do any physical, I was like basically stopped after college, right? When I was working on the startups, I basically stopped doing exercise for years, you know, years and years, like, you know, four, four or five years really. And I um, started to get, you know, like I got started getting fat. I was like, my cardio was terrible. My cardiovascular system was, was awful. And it was interesting because, you know, at a certain point I realized like you have to like, I, I was in that school of thought of like, you know, Oh, I can just be, I'm rational. I'm like a science or I'm like an engineer. I'm going to build stuff in my mind. And that's what's important. And then the physical over here is just something else, right? And they're not related, but they're very related, right? Like every human being lives in a body, like you have to live in a body and how your body feels will affect everything you can do with your mind. Like, for example, I used to, after at Justin TV, we used to order pizza for lunch every day in addition to whatever else we were ordering, right? So every day there would be cheese and pepperoni pizza in addition to whatever else. And I would eat pizza like half the days and half the days I'd fall asleep in the afternoon. And I had no link in my mind between eating pizza and taking a nap. I was just like, I'm just a tired guy who needs naps. Right. And then of course, fast forward 10 years, I'm like, Oh, if I eat a low carb diet or a ketogenic diet or maybe basically just don't eat a shit ton of carbs at noon, then I am awake. I can be awake during and have energy for the rest of the day. And like. That was like a mind blown moment, right? So the physical and the, I think for me, it was that big realization that the physical and the mental are, are linked, you know, they're completely linked and they can't be disentangled. And so for me, it was, and I always hated exercise. You know, I always, I was never good at exercise. I was never, you know, when I used to play rugby in college, club rugby, and I said, I was like the triple threat of slow, slow poor reflexes and took tackles like a bitch. You know, I was like very bad. At everything physical, and so for me, <laughs> it was this process of like, okay, I'm just going to get on the extra size bike for five minutes. I'm just going to do, you know, workout for five minutes. I'm going to train myself to work out every day, just for a minimum. And of course, eventually, you know, now I probably average working out. Well, I'm on a little bit of a lull right now, but like I, I work out every day for at least you know 30 minutes. And you know, probably a year ago when I was at my peak, right before having a kid, you know, having a kid definitely you have to make some trade offs. I was working on it an hour a day, you know, kind of. And I've just trained, built it up, you know.
0: Yeah, 100. percent I think I was just very much the same school, right? Like you're just like, okay, I'm just like a giant brain. Just yeah. Optimize the brain. That's super high leverage. And then you just realize that, like, yeah, we're sitting in a, we're like, we're sitting in an animal body.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And if you're just animal body sucks, like you can't, like it's hard to be optimal when you're playing an endurance race of building companies, building value, and like compounding knowledge and compounding network. 100. percent So I think one of the things that I found that's been very interesting sitting at the intersection of kind of Silicon Valley, and then intersecting with elite athletes, and then military world is, they always ask, "What are the weird Silicon Valley, tech, bro, billionaire types doing in terms of enhancing performance. So I'm curious if you've gotten like crazy weird biohacks that can be kind of accelerated with access to resources. I think I have two kind of responses there. I think sometimes when I talk to Silicon Valley people, they get so into the gizmos and gadgets that they're just actually just like, weak, yeah. like they just forget to work out and like sleep and eat healthy. They're just so into like the toys and gizmos that they're just like, have all the expensive toys and they're actually just like weak and it's like, yo, you're doing it wrong, bro. <laughs> you just spent like $10,000 on your toys, but you actually just suck at life because you just didn't like work out curious where you're at on the spectrum. Are there kind of like the crazy you know, young blood sh- stuff that like Peter Thiel's rumored to have. Like, uh, how crazy have you gone? How experimental have you gone across the spectrum here? I'm pretty low tech, actually. You know,
1: like I had a Peloton, I liked it. I gave it away to a friend, though. I just you ride my shitty Amazon exercise bike, right? Like, I, you know, my workouts right now, I'm, I do like a 400 kettlebell swing workout. I just have the 45 pound kettlebell. I just do 400 swings. That's it. That's the whole workout. Cause it's, and it's super simple. You know, I like, and it's kind of like a total body. Workout. You know, I don't, I don't have like an aura ring or like eat sleep or anything like I, I just, for me, a lot of it has been actually deprivation of things is the biohack rather than adding new technology, you know, so whether it's, it's, it's fasting or, or, you know, ketogenic diets, like kind of reserve de- deprivation or, you know, some of the stuff that I guess some of the other things that I do that I think are really, really great is like regular body work, like getting, finding a, somebody who's really going to get in there and like unlock your muscles Like that's been a really big one for me in terms of improving my flexibility. Like I think paying for coaching and training is actually the biggest thing you can you know you can do. I I do regular like hot cold plunge. I think that's pretty also pretty important. And then just really it's like for me it's like what's it's like what's how can I arrange my system so that it's maximally convenient for me to do my healthy habits? So it's like okay I'm not going to a gym. I'm gonna have the gym or just some pieces of workout equipment downstairs, right? It doesn't have to be a full gym. It could just be my kettlebell, my exercise. Plate, whatever. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to make it so that my meditation, like my my meditation space is like very convenient. And I just go to the space in the morning and I have this routine, you know, and I, I am kind to myself. So if I do it for like, you know, five minutes, that's good enough, right? I'm just establishing the habit. So that's like a pretty big, those are, those are kind of how I think about it. And then, uh, oh, one thing that I actually... Do do that's like really uh, helped me with with my performance is uh, i built an app that's like a social habit tracker so uh it's called kin it's a you can download it at kinapp.co not not super big it's just like for friends of mine and, and i but uh it's out there for iphone and android and basically it's an app that i don't know if you're familiar with street tracking which is like you know every day you do something you press this button and it like increments the street so the goal is just to get the largest number you can so like meditation, you know, you press this button, it's like day 300, boom, you know, it says 300 on this app. And it's like that combined with a social chat. So, you know, everyone who's in a group, let's say you're all trying to eat keto, you know, you can track your same habit and then share the results with each other. So that like every time that I mark off, I ate keto today, you would get the notification. And then there's a little bit of social pressure, right? Like you kind of like, it's a little bit of of a social hack for you to stay consistent and we hold each other accountable. So that's like the the one kind of piece of technology that I, I use a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just like reflecting on the the fact of like almost deprivation, and I think I think that's like really the nut of the problems of modernity or civilization. If you look at the issues of our food system, the modern food system is essentially designed to solve a 19th century problem of famine, and now it's like our problems are overconsumption. Our problems are overconsumption of happy hour, of alcohol, of just like abundance. And I think you're, I think you're hitting it quite nicely on the head, which is that you don't necessarily just solve a lot of these chronic issues by adding more shit to the table. It's just like, can we delete the extraneous stuff? Yeah, for, or things that were were designed to solve previous century problems.
1: Exactly. So I, I want to write a wellness book. I've been working on a book. And it's like, a, uh, I actually was trying to write it as a with my own story. But then I decided, okay, I'll write this first book. That's like my own story, and then I'll write a wellness book separately. But the premise of my book is, is that like human beings are running a resource scarce algorithm, right? Like the algorithm from the 19th century or from when we were hunter gatherers where it's like, every resource is scarce. So we want more and we don't know when to stop. We don't have like the built in like break point mechanisms of like, okay, you've had enough really. So that that's from food, you know, we want to eat sugar until like we make makes us sick and gives us diabetes. It's true for alcohol, where you know we many of us don't have control. I was someone someone who did not just like completely get blasted and like had no self control. And it's true for information, uh, where you know like you want to be on your phone gives you new inf- source of entertainment and information, which used to be scarce, but in the world where you can be on the internet twenty four seven, your phone is very very addictive. And then it's true for you know sex, right? Like with whether it's virtual with like pornography, where you know pornography is like one of the it's the most consumed media in the world, you know, no one talks about it, but but it, it is all the way through, like actual sex, you know, which is is much more easy to to get because of you know the, the prevalence of dating apps, right, where people can match much more easily. And so, what we we're running this resource scarce algorithm, but the problem is like we live in a resource abundant environment, right? So the algorithm's broken, and it leads to us being sick, unhappy, and unhealthy, right? Like where you know, we just do not feel good. Like you, if you eat the diet that your taste buds want you to eat, you will feel horrible. Right. And if you are on your phone 24 seven, which your your mind wants you to be right, it's like, this is great. Scroll on another TikTok. You're going to feel like shit the next day. Right. So to me, it's about how do you create frameworks that allow you to be in a, you know, deprivation sounds bad, but to like, maybe put limits and restrictions on a lot of these things that don't necessarily serve us in the in the resource abundant world.
0: And I think if I, I know that social dilemma is popular Netflix movie, I haven't watched it. But you know, I'm, I'm sure just in tech world, I'm sure you have the general premise of it. I mean, the smartest people in the world are making us fucking like, like, look at this stuff all day long. I mean, ha- like, so what are some of the practices? I mean, I think you mentioned yourself, you're putting you're making it easy for you to whether it's deprive or just avoid these addictive behaviors. So, like for me, like I've looked at meditation for a long time, it's just been hard for me to stick to it. But I think what I've observed is that my and I think this has been validated by a number of MRI studies is that the similar, like the brain set if you actually do MRI scans with a like a master monk meditating towards someone on a psychedelic journey, on someone who has been in a flow state, as they're like winning the Ironman World Championships, my sense is that, or if it's like an operator kicking down doors and they're in full flow state, I, th- I think that's probably like very similar mental state. So, to me, as I've like realized that awareness, you need to find like the best behavior that induces that kind of alpha brain state or that flow state, and not necessarily do the prescription of someone telling you, "Hey." like sit down for 15 minutes. And like, this is the way to get enlightenment, right? If that was so easy, every single person that's been sitting in Nepal should be Buddha by now, right? Like, it's clearly not necessarily so easy to be that prescriptive. So I'm curious in terms of like, I think I think you're exactly spot on how do you make it easy for you to hit some of these routines? What are some of these examples? What are some of the realizations or non obvious hacks or structures that you've implemented?
1: So uh, one is uh, the first thing is like, you got to be kind to yourself, right? Because a lot of times we're saying, oh, we want to diet. I want to eat keto or I want to work out four times a week or whatever. But then you miss it and then you're like, oh, man, I'm worthless. I can't do it. I'm like, I failed, right? And you're hard on yourself. And the problem with that, what you don't realize is like you actually your brain doesn't want you to do these things, right? Because it has evolved a certain way. like, And so you're you're running software that just like doesn't work for this current situation. And to beat yourself up about that is to be angry about your like genetic heritage and your your you know the way that you've evolved as a human being so the first thing is like to be a kind because it doesn't help for you to be like no nobody's perfect and everyone's gonna fail like that's true for like you know across the that's 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 true across the spectrum across all of these different categories of, of, of self-improvement is like you know to me it's it's much more about I think about improvement as like drops in the bucket you know it's not like i'm going to work out one week and then boom i'm a, somebody who's like fit it's like no every time i work out i'm adding one drop to a bucket and after like ten thousand drops i'm gonna have a full bucket and it's much more about the framework to add a drop every day than did i get wednesday or did i get thursday or, or you know i'm I doing good enough or not so for me it's like being kind to yourself is one big one a second is creating a structure where you don't have to make choices so what i mean by that is like with working out, it's like, I tell myself, I'm going to work out five minutes every day. There's no choice. I will never not work out five minutes a day. There's never any excuse. If, if necessary, I'll just do five minutes of sit-ups at my hotel floor or on the plane or whatever it is, right? If I'm traveling, you know, if, if, if it's hard. So there's no choice. And the same is true with meditation. I'm like, I'm going to work out two minutes is my minimum. I'm going to start meditate. If I don't meditate for two minutes, like there's no day I'm not going to meditate for two minutes. So removing the choices is one on on the phone, for example, it looks different where I'm saying, I'm going to keep my phone in black and white so that it's less addictive because the colors are one of the things that draw you in. And I'm going to delete all the social apps and I'm going to lock it. And I gave my wife the code so I can't install Instagram on my phone. And for me, that's like, okay, I don't have the choice to use it, right? So it's, it's kind of like figuring out and what works for me is not going to work. work, work it's not going to be what works for everybody, right? So I'm not saying you should just clone my set of things. It's like, you should figure out what are the things that help you Reprogram yourself to to live in the resource abundant environment, but not to go overboard. And then you should remove all the choice from the system. That's that's what I really believe. And then the last thing I would say is, for me, it's been a process of constant experimentation because I started off at zero. I would say I was like not good at any of this self improvement stuff. I was not a you know performance based person. For me, it was like okay, I'm seeing a little bit of like when I sat down to meditate the first time, like I was like, how does someone sit still with their eyes closed for two minutes? And I was like, I don't think like, I was like, how do you do it? I was like, I'm not, I'm thinking and I'm checking the time. and like, and it's been like 30 seconds. Right. So it was just, okay, I'm going to do it with headspace and try it with headspace. And then after 10 days or so, it was like, Oh, that's kind of working. And then I was like, I, I started doing transcendental meditation or TM. And I really liked that because it was very simple. It was like, just say this mantra to yourself for 20 minutes a day, two times a week, a day, and then I, I could do that, you know. And it's like very non-judgmental. It's like, oh, if you look at, you know, you're looking at the clock, it's okay. Just go back to do it. If you fall asleep, that's okay. So being non-judgmental and just you know, kind of building it from there, and then then I started doing other forms of meditation after that. So, you know, it, I think it's about allowing yourself to have a gentle ramp. I think is really important, you know. So because that's what's going to keep you. It's more important that you stay on the treadmill than you like. Are running, you know, a, a four minute or five minute mile or whatever. Like minute one, you know, like you just got to let yourself have a, a slow ramp up.
0: Yeah, I think that's like, I, th- I think that being generous to yourself is something that I think again resonates with me a, a lot. Which is that we're all imperfect, but if we can keep the slope and the arc going, and we don't just kill it, like beat ourselves down and just like beat this demotivated to do anything, I think that's the key. But it is pretty interesting that you've been able to stick to it. I mean, I've been experimenting with turning my phone black and white, but I just revert. I've deleted my social apps. And like, I guess for me, it's like I got to be on social to engage with the community. So it's just
1: like very hard
0: for me to stay away for that long. But yeah, I guess it sounds like, have you been
1: just like... Well, I've, re- I've reverted some of the time, right? But one of the things that really helped me was I have a, my old phone with my social apps and I put it in my gym. So it's like you can use this, your social apps when you're in the gym you know, and then I'm like, Okay, I get that hit. And I'm like, go and motivated, you know, it's like uh, that that's worked pretty well for me. That's not a bad idea. Just like,
0: okay, you get the award of like working out with like access to social and maybe some colors on your phone. It's not a bad like hack. Yeah. Although like, part of me is like also like, when I am working out, I want to be fully focused on just like the movements. Yeah, again, just like, perfect practice makes perfect, right? Like, and I just like, and I think that was like a realization to me that oftentimes we just show up to the gym and just like practice kind of like automated movements. But if you really are thoughtful on exactly firing the like the brain muscle connection and like really thinking about it hard and really perfecting the techniques, I feel like you get much better gain. So in that sense, I'm like, yes, if you need to get like get that hook in to like get started. But if you can get the mastery level, right, like your perf-
1: your practice should be almost perfect. Well, maybe that that's, I love that, because maybe what will happen is you will put it in the gym, and you won't want to use it, but you'll know, okay, if I do want to use it, and it's going to be my two minute bike workout, your warm up, then I'm going to go focus on squats or whatever. That's, you know, that would be almost the ideal outcome, right? You're not like, super addicted to it, you get to be present in the gym. But then you know, you don't you can remove it from the rest of your
0: life. Yeah, no, I think that's like interesting, little experiment that hopefully our audience can maybe report in on because I think there is that like that, that duality of can we ascribe reward to certain behaviors? And yeah, I think the phone is one of the most addictive things and most rewarding things that we have in our lives. And then one of the easiest, lowest hanging levers is like, just move a little bit, especially in this day and age where gyms are shut down. And it's like, If we don't have access to like a home gym, it's just like hard. I mean, we can go into like COVID policy if that's like of interest. But like, yeah, I mean, just like very, very patchwork from the top in terms of what we're even doing where it's like, if you just look at the the scientific data, like things that correlate to bad outcomes of COVID, right? Vitamin D status and metabolic health. And it's like, okay, if people aren't working out and you're just cooping people up, I don't know if that's like the most optimal outcome here.
1: For sure. I I definitely think we have not done a coherent or consistent approach in terms of our Coronavirus response. I mean, I feel like that's not a very controversial statement. It's like, very. we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier. It's like, it's a very, it's it's kind of scary, right? Because some of our friends are, you know, tech is crushing it, because, you know, whether it's the delivery services, DoorDash, Instacart, or Amazon, Yeah,
0: that's something like hurt your brain, like literally, like people are making bank this year. And just like, yeah, and it's just like, I think it's like if people knew how much people were
1: making this they'd be just like, I feel like you get riots. Well, they'd be enraged, like like, like, nuts. Exactly. they will be They will be enraged because the average person in America and around the world is struggling. Like I saw this report that like hundreds of millions of people will be introduced to extreme poverty again, right? We've done a steady state of like reducing the amount of extreme poverty, but Coronavirus is going to like undo a lot of like, not a lot, but like, you know, it's the first, like a first major step back. And if people knew how much you know people were making on tech, they would be outraged and, and rightly so because we've embraced a set of policies. This is why I hate, I mean, this is, I'm you know, probably gonna get blasted for this, right? Maybe it'll be good for the podcast rate ratings. But like, like what, what I can't stand is you have a class of people who are like, we need to shut everything down. The economy is not worth human lives. We need to like keep everyone inside and you have like and they're in a very like sanctimonious and moralizing way. and they are all very secure in this is class there are a class of people and I'm generalizing that's very secure in their jobs. they have white collar jobs you can do from zoom you can you know they, they can aff- afford to live in a decent sized house so that, like it's actually quality of life. coronavirus is a quality of life improvement for a lot of these people. but then they're like shut down the economy and you have this massive amount of like small business owners, restaurant owners, that are like all getting wiped out, and the this is a net transfer to the technology industry, right? Like, who loses when when like small independent stores get wiped out? It's Amazon, right? Who as Amazon wins? Like the small businesses lose, right? Who loses? Like when 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 small restaurants get lost, like big corporation corporate restaurants, those are going to be the ones to survive, right? So, I don't know. It's just it's so painful to watch. And I feel like there are going to be, you know, there's a generation worth of negative consequences, societal consequences that are happening from this. You know, there's going to be a huge amount of unrest and dissatisfaction when what what we're doing is we're bifurcating the economy even further into the haves and have-nots, into Elysium. You know, you can sit in your, you know, Airbnb, working at Facebook, door dashing food and Instacarting food, and then all the everyone else who doesn't have that option, you know, it's hard to make the calculated trade offs of like, what is the right amount of openness for the right amount of spread for the right amount of, you know, death that we are going to see in society, but people are are considering the epidemiological aspect without considering any of the other fallout from, you know, like like, like, that can happen. And I think that's not a great approach. I think you're spot on. People aren't talking about it. And I think
0: it's because it's so cross functional, right? You have epidemiologists, you have folks that are virology experts. And that's great, right? Like, they're definitely domain experts in that field. But no one has studied the cross impact across economies across small business across mental health across so many different factors. You know, I think that's what's missing. It's just like hard to collate all these different disciplines into policy. And it's like above my pay grade. And I think, yeah, it's just like very, very strange for me to observe for Yeah, my equity portfolio is all time high. It's like, uh, like, like, I'm sure if you have some tech exposure, you're doing great, right? Like, if you're, if you're a listener, you have some allocations of tech, your stock market portfolio is awesome, right? It's like, super freaking weird. And then you like, like, I have some, like, you know, some awesome restaurants, I like to support in San Francisco, and they're just getting crushed. And you're just like, damn, I, I like it's above my pay grade itself. Like, I don't know if it's ethically or morally good or bad. It's like, it's not my decision. I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to like, you know, we're just trying to live our lives and do the best we can. It's just like, man, it just like it. Yeah, I don't know what what to to say. It's like, like, hey, it's above my pay grade, we just kind of got to do what we think is best for ourselves, our families, our communities and the people around us and hopefully have more enlightened people in charge to help make better decisions for all of us. Maybe that goes back to kind of an initial question that I mentioned in the beginning of the conversation here if there was dictator Justin, that could either kind of evolve society evolve culture, what would be some of the enlightened ways you'd like to see the world improve, whether that's, you know, rites of passage, or, you know, how we how we make culture in a I mean, I think in some sense, like you've helped with with Justin TV, Twitch and, and other things that you've been involved with, I just saw that Paul Graham tweeted, like your initial like email being like, yo, Airbnb is pretty dope. You should like let them in white combinator, right? Like Airbnb is like a very much a cultural evolution of what we consider of hospitality. So in some ways, you can you can claim some credit in terms of like, being pretty forward thinking in terms of case making culture, like what would dictator Khan say for if you could make some prescriptions
1: for for our society? What would some of those things look like? I mean, I would go back, I would go to education, like going to what are we teaching people when they're young and what are the skills that we're equipping people with? And I don't really mean like STEM or computer programming. I I, I mean, there's a bunch of skills that I learned as an adult that I wish I had learned as a kid. You know, I wish that we had, I talked about, we had done a class on emotional intelligence and like being able to talk about our emotional state, you know, that's in a, and like how we feel about things, and if you're angry, being able to be okay with the difficult angers of, you know, difficult emotions of anger or sadness or, or whatever, you know, being able to say, oh, I feel, sadness right now, or I feel fear, and being okay with saying that because that's something I was not okay with when I was when I was younger. But it's part of the human experience, right? That's like an example. I would like make everyone meditate. You know, I think really investing in meditation and building meditation practice has been invaluable to my life, and and I really think that. Uh, You know, that's a, that's a skill that we should be teaching kids when they're young. I'm like heartened because there are more and more meditation classes that I see or like schools that teach meditation, you know, to elementary school or middle school or high school students. So, so I'm hoping, hopeful on that. You know, I I would also do more on the, the physical and be teaching people joy, the joy of like the physicality of finding sports or, or fitness activities or whatever that they love, right? Because it is such an integral part of the human experience, but we're like, you know, it's shunted off into this, like you have it's. You know, it's something you have to do, right? You feel like you have to do it instead of something you get to do. And I feel like if you, you know, invested in skills to make people more curious, more, you know, inquisitive about their own state, more calm and able to like live skillfully and react, you know, not be tr- react in a triggered way to the world, like everything will fall from that downstream, you know? I think, I feel like a lot of the problems that we have in, in our society today around how it's becoming bifurcated and people like, you know, seem to only be able to scream at each other over Twitter. That's all coming from a place where people are not don't have the skills to really exist in the world and, and be resilient and to know themselves and to be calm. And, and instead, they're like they, they're, they're the opposite of that. You know, and I, I think that all starts with education.
0: Yeah, I have to be the what? What if I put the devil's advocate hat on and and I say, hey, like Justin made it and he's just got too much. Friggin' infrastructure and wealth. And he's just like telling us kind of stuff that he can do because he's, he's made it. He's balling out now. Yeah. How would you address that? Like, do you think by having some of these quote unquote, like meditation, phys- physicality, just do you think that would be useful as, you know, talking to yourself as, you know, 15 year old Justin? Or is it now that you have some resources, you can chill out a little bit? Like, yeah. how do you address that kind of critique?
1: Well, I would answer that in a couple ways. So I get that question a lot in terms of well, the first one that I'll say is like actually, it's, it's very cheap. Like the thing that I get the most of that I, that 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 the, the thing that being like having more resources helps me the most with is I have time to do it, right? Like every a lot of people feel like they don't have time, so I do have time to meditate half an hour a day and, and to, to work out half an hour a day or whatever, or an hour, you know, and, and so that is a, a luxury. But in terms of the actual like amount of money that I spend doing those things, it's actually like the cheapest thing that I do, right? Like meditation's free, working out. Like like I told you, I have like, a 45 pound kettlebell, right? Like or a, a squat rack, right? You can buy a squat rack for a couple hundred bucks. And it's not, you know, I don't have like, it's not because I have Tonal or Peloton or whatever that's like helping me work out. So I, I think that that's, you know, that, that, that that's one thing. And then the second thing that people ask is often, they're like, well, Justin, you made it. And if you were so Zen back when you were trying to, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, would you have still made it? And I think there's a legitimate question in that, which is like, you know, is your drive, like, was your drive to get external approval from the outside world? Was that something that fueled you to make it? And the answer is, of course, yes. And in a way, it served me because I did make a lot of money and and become successful because I was wanted it so bad, right? But it also didn't serve me in ways. So one example that's very clear uh, that I, I talk about a lot is like, my need to like be the man and like to be the CEO of a big company or whatever made me actually want to leave. When we pivoted to Twitch after a couple of years, I was like, oh, well, Emmett's got it. He's the CEO. So I should just start a new company. Right? That was an ego-driven decision. There was a little bit of like, oh, I want to try something new too. You know, so there's a curiosity, but there's also like, I want to like be the man again and like build a big company and be the CEO. And the funny thing is, like, we end up selling to Amazon, great outcome, right? But we, you know, if we had, I'd stuck around my superpower, you know, I'm really good at raising money and like hyping the shit out of things. And so, you know, what part of the decision to sell was like, it was very hard for us to raise money actually for, for Twitch. And I wonder what would have happened had I been around, had I not had to make an ego driven decision, if I was able to make a decision from like a place of of calm and like not needing the world to be in a certain way, would I have stuck around and could we have raised money and gone a little bit further? Right. So, and then that would have a, Defined economic impact, right? I only really bring that up because it's like, you know, like that would have had, you know, it could have been the case that I would be much more successful, much richer at this moment if I, you know, had been more zen. Yeah, like a 10, 50
0: company, right? Like, I mean, I mean, how would like, that's probably like, it would probably trade for, what do you think? What, 50 billion? If it was just like an independent company, just given
1: how, how things are trading. right now. Yeah, Snapchat's like 70 bills. So it's, it's in the tens for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's actually an interesting counterpoint. So so I do think and but I don't have a regret about it, right? Because it's kind of like what we talked about with with sit that's like, you have to go through this whole journey to get to where you're at, you know, and I, I accept that. And so for me, the struggle and the decisions, good or bad, or whatever, they're they are the journey that brought me to the place where I could be Zen, because you know, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been calmer before, you know, like, so so to me, that was, that is the, that is the journey. Yeah. And that's reminded me of like, can you shortcut
0: that Zen and I feel like I think as a lot of young gunners in Silicon Valley, you're just like, hey, we're really smart, we're really young we're like, we like, we're gonna figure it out. But I think as I've grown and matured, I've realized that if you can copy steal, learn from people that have been around the block a little bit, like you can try to absorb that wisdom as much as possible. And that's why I've been very interested in reading his- history books or biographies, and talking to people that have had good success, and try to take that wisdom. So I don't have to make their mistakes, or like learn from their mistakes. Because I think it's life is too short to make all the mistakes yourself, right? Like you've had to go through all these journeys to then get to your end place. I'm sure you've had mentors and folks along the way. But I'm just wondering to make this actionable and, and, and useful for our listeners. Have you had a chance where it, like you have stole or copied like some wisdom from someone who's been around the block a little bit where that's actually shifted a decision making point. I found that, you know, speaking with and, and working with, I'm just kind of top of mind, just like, folks that have served in the US military for 30 plus years, just getting a little bit of that wisdom has been helpful for me to think about, hey, like, I don't need to make all the mistakes of like going through the ego's ups and downs. Can I just like steal your brain and like in- input like that zenness into my brain so I can like shortcut some of these 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 pains? Okay. Did you feel like you have to just like do you think it's just like a flaw of humanity? You have to just have like that ego punch to take it yourself or have you had a chance to just like steal these lessons and actually have it integrate into your personality?
1: Well, for me, I, it's a lot of a lot of times I'm kind of like a slow learner, right? So I oftentimes have to get punched by reality myself. I mean, there's some tactical things that like, you know, like advice I got along the way, um, like Matt Sanchez, for example, who's a, the CEO of this company called Video Egg, and a, a friend gave me some really critical advice when it came to pivoting to Twitch that really helped us make that decision. You know, so there's, there's times when I've had tactical advice from people that has really helped, but I think in terms of the like, life advice and focus and and learning all of this about being more centered and and kind of okay with my present moment experience. I feel like that has come from learning it from somebody at the right time. Right. Like I don't think I necessarily would have been receptive to the message when I was 25, right? But maybe at 37, that was the right time when I read or you know, 35, I read a book and then I was like, oh, I get it. Like this relates to my current experience and I can just shift to be more like that you know, so I, I think I think there was something, you know, if you if you didn't come to this, you know, something some set of skills, right? Like if you didn't come to being more peaceful, or more quantumist earlier in your life, it's like, that's okay. You know, everybody goes through a journey that is for a reason, and it takes them, you know, maybe you had to go through some things a certain way for you to be receptive to hear it now.
0: Yeah, I think that just literally might be, I think, my conclusion as well. Like, I'd wish that you could just kind of matrix plug in, But I think it is something that some it it, the teacher has to come at the right moment, you get to be yourself at the right moment as well. Yeah. So everyone play their single player journey, and hopefully, learn a little bit faster than 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 people that are a little bit more stubborn. So you've transitioned into investor mode. Yeah, what is kind of the master plan? Now? I mean, obviously, like, I I mean, I just, you know, kind of tracking you personally, and knowing you for some years, like have seen you evolve a lot. Like what what do you just de- how do you define yourself now? What is is there a master? Like what is kind of the Justin Kahn master plan moving forward? I mean, we're, we're entering a new decade now.
1: I know I was thinking about that, you know, what's the 10 years, you know, if I thought about where I was 10 years ago, and then where I am now, and then what do I want for the next 10 years? It's like, the world is anything is possible. Actually, if I think about what changed in the last 10, you know, 10 years ago, I was working at this, you know, we had a Twenty something person company and and you know, there was nothing. I've never invested in a single. Yeah. Company. You were a part time partner at YC. You're helping. Not, not even yet. Yeah, yeah but I, I was just starting off. That was in 2011 when you when you went through.
0: Yeah, My My batch, two, yeah,
1: yeah. And then now, like the world's completely different, you know. So right now, you know, I'm in investing. I love investing because I love mentoring founders, and I love being involved in that early stage creation part of the idea, you know. So investing in incubating companies through, through our fund. And then I'm just really excited about media these days and like making more media content. Well, I guess how it relates, what might be actionable for your listeners is like, I always used to think like, oh, I should have a certain set of skills as a CEO or an entrepreneur. It's like, I need to be able to do all of these things. You know, I need to be the guy who comes up with the idea, but also the guy who hires people that also the guy who manages them and also the guy who brings it all the way to IPO or whatever, right? And I used to think like, but more and more now, I'm just like, I want to do whatever I'm intrinsically motivated to do. That's my superpower. And then partner with other people. And like, I don't have to be, if maybe I'm just the ideas guy, right? Like, everyone in Silicon Valley all shits on the ideas guy. But maybe I'm just the ideas guy and I'm good at ideas and incubating ideas. And then someone, but some, we really need someone else who's going to carry it all away. And so I've, I, I would say in this new decade, I've really embraced who I am and what I'm intrinsically motivated to do and said, hey, that's okay. You know? Like where, because I feel like in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of stigma around like the guy who just like kicks it off, but then doesn't carry it all the way. And I, and yeah, the ideas guy. But I think the thing is, you earn
0: the credibility and reputation to be the ideas guy. I think every like MBA business student wants to be the idea guy, but they yeah. have not earned the credit and the bones to do it.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I think
0: it's like it's funny. Like, I, I I I chuckle at that because I think it's like I I've seen people can you can if you can actually pull off being the ideas guy, you have super high leverage. Yeah. <laughs> but very
1: actually be the actual ideas guy. I know. I know. It's funny because I i mean, I do. But yeah, it is funny. I mean, I, I so I incubated this company like five years ago uh, with, with some really amazing founders. These this, this kids started this company called Alto, Matt and Jamie. And, you know, they started out in my living room just delivering prescriptions five years ago. And today they're, you know, helped them build biopharmacy and raise the seed round. And, and uh, today it's, it, you know, they, they have 800 employees and, and tens of thousands of patients in, in multiple states. And so, I think having seeing that, like where I did play a critical role, but I wasn't like really working on it myself, really gave me a lot of the permission to do to be the guy who like does what I want to do and I think I'm good at, without having a need to do the things that I that maybe I'm not so good at. I think that applies also to you know some of the other stuff I'm doing, like with media. I'm like really excited right now to to just do my podcast. Right, it doesn't have to be the most popular thing in the world. I mean, I don't even look at the stats. Just like what I want, I want to put out. You know, the content, have a great conversation with people I like to, to talk to. And it's it feels like a creative pursuit, you know, and so just trying to do that, or like, I'm gonna start making some YouTubes. and like That's, uh, that's what I'm doing.
0: Cool. Yeah. So how do our our peeps follow along? I mean, I know you're on on Twitter. Sounds like like you just launched like a new podcast earlier this year, right? So yeah, we're all the shout outs sort of people along
1: yeah so uh, i'm on twitter at justin khan last name k-a-n and you can find me on instagram too justin khan and then i am on i have a new podcast called the quest uh which you will be on shortly and the podcast really covers people's journeys through their experiences i just i love you know like my my experience is so much beyond like oh he started a company that they sold it for a billion dollars right that's like the, the headline but there was so much more in that and like so much more of like a personal journey in there as well. And I was like, oh, I want to tell these stories. So really diving in with my friends and, and people I know from a bunch of different disciplines to like go into their, their stories. Uh, like I have Michael Seibel, my co-founder is not the CEO of YC, but then I also have like the, the guys from the Chainsmokers or my friend Festus, who's a player on the Warriors uh, championship team in tw- 2015, just talking about like how they came up and like what their experiences were, you know? So that's that's what I really love to do. And those are probably the main things you can ways to follow along. Yeah,
0: 100%. And I think, like, uh, being the podcast game for a while now, I think what this replicates is that kind of tribal knowledge at rites of passage, I feel like if I'm looking at ancestral history, right, there's like this fireside chats where you have, like the elders or like the folks that went on the hunt or went into battle, after they come back, They're like just storytelling, like what happened? What happened? What happened? And I feel like modern society lacks that a little bit where there's like not this direct connection to kind of aspirational figures or inspiring figures that are just sharing, like authentic, long form conversation. And I think that like these conversations hopefully replicate some of that like desire, because my sense of I not only produce a podcast, I just love listening to podcasts, because I, I think the benefit of internet of technology is that we get to choose who our friends are, right? Like, our listeners might not ne- literally be hanging out with us. But for like this hour 15 minutes, hour 20 minutes, they get to get a sense of our thought process, our history, our, our stories here. And I think that replicates like this ancestral like tribal passage of knowledge, And again, going back to rites of passage and all of that. And I think we as humans are very social animals. and I think that's how we learn. That's how we empathize. That's how we integrate knowledge and wisdom into ourselves. And I think If you're going to like an industrial education school, which is just like, pretty fact process education, you're just like not getting that personal, empathetic human stories that make up the tapestry of our lives. So I'm excited to tune in and and, and follow along your journey here. And hopefully, our listeners took something away from here. And if like, there's a lot of questions that we have for Justin, love to have you back on
1: and continue the conversation. For sure. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's fun.